Here we go. Let's jump in. This is Torah Studies Live. This is our Shavuot boot camp. This is a combination of the two. This is our opportunity to study Torah, specifically pertaining to the holiday that is upcoming, which is, of course, the holiday, the anniversary of the giving of the Torah. This is such a meta conversation, right? We're studying Torah, about Torah. Love it. This is like whatever. Okay, let's move. Let's let's jump into the conversation. What I want to do tonight is explore a little bit. Let me make myself lower in this chair a little bit. Oh, look at that. Okay, what I want to do. It's like a roller coaster. What I want to do tonight is start off by exploring a little bit of what happened when the Jewish people got the Torah at Mount Sinai three thousand three hundred thirty-two years ago. I'm going to take you through day by day, blow by blow, using the Torah as a guide. The Torah portion we're going to primarily focus on in tonight's conversation is from the book of Exodus. It's called Yitro, named after Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. It's the Torah portion which we read about the giving of the Torah at Sinai. This is chapter 19 and 20 of the book of Exodus, just so you know. The Torah tells us that the Jewish people arrived at the foot of Mount Sinai. This was last week's topic. They arrived at the foot of, the foot of Mount Sinai on the first day of the month of Sivan. The exodus happened on the 15th of Nisan, about 40 plus, about six weeks prior, the exodus occurred. Six weeks later, the Jews are at the promised land. Not that promised land, the other promised land or the promised destination because as God told Moses from the beginning, God said to Moses, tell the Jewish people, I'm going to take you out of Egypt and then you're going to worship me on the mountain, which is the mountain, Mount Sinai. When did it happen? Right now. Six weeks later, after the exodus, the Jews are camped at the foot of Mount Sinai, the first day of Sivan. Again, I want you to halt cup, which means stay with me on this. I'm going to go through day by day. Day one is the first day of Sivan. Day one, that's that's what I'm talking about as day one. Day one of Sivan. Day one, they arrived. What else happened? Nothing. As the commentaries say, they were tired from the journey. They had made a big hike over to the foot of Mount Sinai. So what happened the rest of the day? They arrived, they set up camp, they relaxed. <clears throat> they relaxed, no, no commandments from God, no commandments from Moses, no fetching, right? Remember last week, they were all together, love, unity, harmony, there was no friction, no, no, uh, no quarreling, wonderful. That was day one. Day two, Moses goes up the mountain. And God says to Moses, I want to choose the Jewish people to give them the Torah. Ask them if they want it. Moses goes down the mountain and he says, God has a proposal. Do you want the Torah? And the Jews famously say, unmute yourself if you know what they said. In the Hebrew, you get extra points. What did the Jewish people say? Nasevenishma. Excellent, Joel. Hi, Joel. Nasevenishma, which means we will do and we will listen. Or we will hear. Which means they said, you know what? Even without the details of what the Torah is all about, we don't need to know what it says. We're ready to accept it. If God wants to give it to us, we're in. Done. No questions asked. 
All of this happened on day two. Day one, they arrive. Day two, Moses goes up. God says, ask them if they want it. Moses comes back down. And the Jewish people said, yes, we want it. They're in. That's day two. Day three, Moses goes back up that mountain. And what do you think he tells God? Oh, that's right. You guys are muted. Unmute, who, somebody unmute yourself. What do you think Moses tells God on day number three? Bunch of yeah. they, they made a golden calf. No, that's no. The golden calf comes later. What does God? What does Moses tell God? Moses tells God, "They're in. I spoke to the Jewish people. That's it. They want it. Ah, oh, deal. Good. There's a proposal and an acceptance of the proposal. Excellent. Now we're going to read what God said back to Moses on day number three. I'm going to share my screen, and magically will appear the Torah studies text. Here we go. All right, we're going to jump right in. Take a look at text number text number one. This is what God responded when Moses says the Jewish people are in. This is what God says back to Moses. All right, let's do this. Donna, can you unmute yourself? You may have to connect with the audio. If you can unmute yourself, please. I'd love for you to read text number one. Take it away. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We have two Donnas. Donna Herbert. Donna Herbert. Don, other Don, Donna. Donna B. We're gonna get back to you in a second. All right. <laughs> and God said to Moses, "Behold, I am coming to you in the thickness of the cloud, in order that the people hear when I speak to you, and they will also believe in you forever." And Moses relayed the words of the people to God. Thank you. Let me explain what's going on. Again, this is critical to understanding the timeline of events and the big idea that I want to share tonight. Moses comes back to God and says, I spoke to the people. I told them, I gave them the pitch. They love it. They love it. They're signing on to it. Script unseen. Right? It's like Hollywood. It's like Netflix. They don't even need to read the script. They want it. They're buying it. That's it. What does God say? Excellent. Here's what we're going to do. Let, let's, let's, let's read this text once again. Let's decode it. So God says, I will appear to you. I will approach you on that day in the thickness of the cloud so that everybody hears that I am speaking to you. So that when you tell them the rest of the Torah, right? God says, I'm going to speak the Ten Commandments. And everyone's going to hear it. And that way, for the rest of the Torah, everyone's going to understand that it's coming from God. Because they heard themselves God speak the Ten Commandments at Sinai. That's enough as a sample set to realize and to recognize that the rest is coming from God. Make sense? That's what God's saying. Good. Fantastic. That happens day three. But here's the problem. The commentaries point this out. There's a big problem with this text. And the problem is this little last sentence here that doesn't make any sense. And Moses relayed the words of the people to God. What, what, what words of the people? That, that, the people are, that the people said yes was already before God speaking to Moses. This dialogue of God speaking to Moses after Moses is reported back that the people are in. After the people are in, God says, here's the game plan. 
if they want the Torah, great, we're going to gather at Mount Sinai, I'm going to talk to you, I'm going to give the Ten Commandments, I will speak the Ten Commandments, everyone's going to listen, and then they're going to believe, they're going to know it's true. Great, that's the game plan. Perfect. And Moses relayed the words of the people to God. What, what words did he not relay already? The people said, yes, that's the prerequisite for this conversation. God doesn't talk about the game plan unless he knows that we're in. So he knows we're in. Here's the game plan. So what words is Moses relaying to God? So the Talmud, it's not, it's not, a, it's not our question. It's not a new question. It's not a 2020 question. It's an ancient question. The Talmud addresses it. Take a look, Donna B. If you will please unmute yourself, text 2A, the Talmud addresses this. Head on. Please take it away. What did God tell Moses? What did Moses relate to the Jews? What was the Jewish reply to Moses? And what did Moses relate to God? This concerns the mitzvah of fencing off the mountain. Boom. Thank you. The Talmud explains... That the verse, sorry, that the text that we just read is a little bit um, brief. There's a lot of brevity here, and we need to explain what's going on. God says to Moses, tell the people, here's the game plan. You want the Torah? You got the Torah. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to speak the Ten Commandments. Everyone's going to hear that I'm speaking to you, Moses. They're going to know that I'm God. They're going to know that you're Moses. They're going to know that these conversations are happening and the rest of the Torah will follow. Perfect. Perfect plan. Moses comes back down the mountain. I know you don't see it here in this text, but that's the Talmud explains. This is what's going on. What happens is Moses comes back down the mountain and Moses tells the people that God is going to come in the cloud Speak to me, or you'll, and every, you, you all will hear, and that's it. The people come back, and they say, we don't like it. We don't like it. Too much social distancing. Why, why do I say social distancing? Because part of what God said to Moses is that the people should not approach the mountain. They should be behind some sort of fence or wall, and they should only hear what's going on on the mountain. The people said, nope, what, what is this, corona? What is this, COVID-19? Why, why such a social distance? They didn't like this fencing off the mountain. The Talmud says it's about the mitzvah of fencing off the mountain. They said, no, no, no deal. We don't like it. What, what was the deal that they didn't like? Donna, if you don't mind, please unmute yourself one more time and please read text 2B. This is the rest of the story from the psukim, from the verses themselves. Take a look. And you shall set boundaries for the people around the mountain, saying, Beware of ascending the mountain or touching its edge. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. There you go. So God tells Moses, tell the people. Put boundaries around the mountain. No one should approach. No one should see. No one should touch. Only, you're only going to hear. You're only going to listen. This wasn't acceptable to the Jewish people. The Jewish people pushed back. This was day number four. Day number three, God went, Moses went up to God and said, 
the people are in. God said to Moses, great, here's the protocol. I'm going to speak, you're going to hear, they're going to hear, they're going to know, they're going to believe, but they can't get close to the mountain. Moses comes back down day four now and tells the people, good, this is the game plan. There's going to be a fence. The, the mountain is going to be roped off. You're going to hear and it's all going to happen and you're going to listen to it. You're going to listen in. The Jewish people said, we don't like it. Why not? Too distant, too far, too removed from the experience. Take a look. Joel, um, if you don't mind, please unmute yourself. Look at text number three. Please read this from the Mechilta from the Midrash. When the Jews tell Moses to relate to God, it is our desire to see our king. How can you compare hearing to seeing? I love the Jewish question. I love the rhetorical question. How can you compare hearing to seeing? The Jewish people said this was day four. They said to Moses, you go back up to God and you tell God, listen, we, we said yes to the Torah. We were in. But you know what? You want to keep us so distant from the experience? You want us not to see anything just to hear? No, no deal, no dice. We don't like it. We don't like it. That's not okay. We want to see our king, God. Eina, or, or here it's, Lo dome shomea leroe. The one who hears is not comparable at all to the one who sees. Seeing is much more powerful. The people said that they don't want to just hear, they want to see. Which leads us to the following question. Already kvetching? Already kvetching? You haven't even gotten the Torah and you're already making deals? Yeah? God says, do you want the Torah? The people said yes. Fine. So we were, we were doing well, right? We were doing well. Um, and then, and then suddenly what happens, you know, Moses tells the people the protocol. Suddenly they're not okay with the protocol. What is this? Since when are the people setting the, the rules of engagement? It should be God who sets the rules of engagement. God is saying, this is what's going to happen. It's going to happen on the mountain. I'm going to speak to Moses. Y'all are going to listen in. You're going to hear my voice. You're going to hear the Ten Commandments. Mazel tov. You also want to see who gives you the... Why are you, why are you telling me what I'm doing? I'm telling you what's going on. Number one. Number two, why is it so important that they really wanted to see? What? Why is hearing not enough? I understand they said, how can you compare hearing to seeing? But still, if you're hearing, isn't, isn't that enough? What's the, what's, um, what conceptually or, or intrinsically, what is the difference between the two? By the way, we're going to get into this. This is a major point of tonight's discussion. This point, the difference between hearing and seeing. So this is all question number one. Question number one is, why did the Jews demand to see God? Why? What was wrong with hearing what kind of chutzpah was it for, for them to even ask the question? What's going on? Um, okay. So what does God respond? The, the people demand to see. What does God respond? Let's take a look at this. Okay. Let's have Joy. Dr. Maxi, please read text 4a. This is God's reply to the people's request to see. Take it away. And God said to Moses... Go to the people and prepare them today and tomorrow, and they should wash their garments. And they should be prepared for the third day, 
From the third day, God will descend before the eyes of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Thank you. This all happened on day number four. Day number four, Moses is sent back up by the people to present the request to see God. God says, you know what? Deal. God agrees to the deal. I want to, I want to highlight the key words here. Take a look right here. You see that? God will descend before the eyes of all the people. In other words, the people will indeed see. God acquiesces. God agrees to the people's request. And God says, you're going to see me. You want to see me? You're going to see me. But if you want to see me, it's going to take three days of prep. We can't just do this tomorrow. It's going to take three days, three days of preparation. So God tells Moses, go back to the people. They need to prepare today and tomorrow, day four and day five. Again, important. Day four and day five are days of preparation. Clean their clothes. Practice ritual purity. And then on the third day, the sixth day of Sivan, which is Friday this year. By the way, today is the fourth day of Sivan. So today is this day that we're talking about in history. This day, the anniversary of this day, when the people present their request to see God and God says, yes, but you need a few days to prepare. That happened today. Uh, this is the anniversary. So God says, prepare today, tomorrow, day four, day five. And on the third day, day six, I will descend. God will descend. Tell the people God will descend before the eyes of all the people. That means that, yes, you won't just hear me, God says. You're going to see me with your eyes. So God agrees. God concedes. Done. So what happens on, on the third day, which is, well, the third of these days, but it's the sixth day of Sivan, which will be Friday morning. Take a look. Dr. Maxi, if you don't mind, please read one more text. Text 4B. It came to pass on the morning of the third day, there were thunderclaps and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain, and a very powerful blast of a shofar, and the entire nation that was camped shuddered. So this is what happens on day number three. Day number three is go time. Day three is, sorry, it's not day three. It's the third day of preparation, you know, for to be able to see God. But So it's the sixth day of Sivan. And what happens in the morning, thunderclaps, lightning flashes, thick cloud, blast of the chauffeur, everyone shakes. Everyone is shuddering. Shuddering or shaking is a sign of what? How would you describe that? It's a sign that a person is what? Help me out. What's the word? Fearful and awe. Fearful or fear and awe. Yep, fear and awe. Shock and awe, baby, right? Fear and awe. Which begs the next question. We asked one question about the people's request. Now we have the next question. And the next question is, why is it that the people shuddered when Sinai seems to have been intended to be a loving experience? How do I know this? It comes from Song of Songs, Shir Hashirim. The second verse of Song of Songs says the following uh, let's ask Linda. 
Linda, if you can read, are you available to read? Awesome. Okay, great. If you don't mind. Text 5A. Text 5A, yes. Text 5A. May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. This is from King Solomon, Song of Songs. It's a love story. Take a look at this text. Kissing with the kisses of his mouth. 5B, Rashi explains. Take a look. Please continue, Linda. You got one more text. All right. She, the Jewish people, recites this song with her mouth in her exile and in her widowhood. If only King Solomon would kiss me with the kisses of his mouth as he did in the days of old. In some places they kiss on the back of the hand or on the shoulder, but I desire and wish that he behaved toward me as he behaved toward me originally, like a bridegroom to a bride, mouth to mouth. And you have to understand, Rashi is blending together the, 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 the surface story of Song of Songs with the deeper story of Song of Songs. Song of Songs on the surface talks about um, a love story between a man and a woman. But on a deeper level, it's the story, the history of the Jewish people and our love affair with God. In this context, God is the man of the story and the Jewish people are the woman in the story. And so when it says in Song of Songs, may he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, it's the Jewish people saying that we wish to feel God's closeness and God's love like it was back in the day. Which day? Which day do you think? The day of Sinai, the day that the Torah was given. So in other words, what this means is that in Song of Songs, the Jewish people are spoken of as longing for that love and endearment and closeness and expression of love, that kissing that we had at Sinai originally when God first, first entered into that relationship, so to speak, with the Jewish people. Which tells us that Sinai was supposed to be all about love. So what's with the trembling? Look back. Look back, I think I went back too far. Look back at this text. Third day of preparation, sixth day of Sivan. Thunderclaps, lightning flashes, thick cloud, blast of the chauffeur. The entire nation shuddered. What kind of kiss is that? What kind of love is that? How, why would love evoke fear? That does not sound like a healthy relationship. So which one is it? Will the real relationship stand up? Is it about the, the shuddering? Is it the shaking? Is it the fear, the awe and the shock? Or is it about kisses? Is it a romantic experience? Which one is it? That's our second question. We need to clarify the nature of Sinai. What happened at Sinai? What happened on Shavuot, the anniversary of the game of the Torah? Was it a, a day of love or a day of fear? That's our second question. Again, question number one is, why were the Jews insisting on seeing God? What's wrong with hearing? Question number two is, is it love or is it fear? Okay. Sorry? Did somebody ask something? No? Okay. Let's, um, let's continue. The Torah continues to tell us what happened at the revelation at Sinai. Not just the morning of the revelation at Sinai, but what, what happened at the actual revelation at Sinai. Text 6a. Dr. David, please unmute yourself and read for us text 6a. All the people saw the, the voices in the flames, the sound of the shofar, smoking mouth, and the people saw and they stood from afar. Thank you. 
So what the Torah is telling us is, at the giving of the Torah at Sinai, once again, they saw the voices in the flames, the shofar, the smoking mountain, not the smoky mountains. That's something else. This is the smoking mountain. And they saw and trembled. They stood from afar. I need to, we're going to do some comparison and contrast, compare and contrast the two verses, 4b and 6a, and you're going to notice some distinctions. Okay, and we're going to ask a few questions. Number one. What did you notice, let's go back, what did you notice, text 4b, about the reaction? What did the people do, right? They heard all these things, and what did they do? They shuddered. They shuddered. And what happens in text 6a, what do the people do? They tremble, which is kind of like the same thing, but here it adds, and they stood from afar, which means almost like they took a bunch of steps backwards. They actually moved backwards. The question is, why did they move backwards? Or n n not, not really why did they move backwards, but if they move backwards, why didn't the other verse say it? Why are we only learning about it now? In other words, here it talks about shuddering. There it talks about trembling and standing from afar. Why is it different? So that's going to be, that's our next question. Question number three. Let's keep on going in these texts. Um, here we have an explanation of what it means that they stood from afar. This is a wild explanation. Uh, but let's, uh, let's do it. Adina Malka, please read text 6b. This is from the Talmud. Take it away, please. Uh, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Yoshua, the son of Levi, said, the sounds of the Jewish people, the souls of the Jewish people expired at each sentence uttered by God. As the verse states, my soul went out as he spoke. If their souls expired at the first commandment, how did they receive the second commandment? God revived them with the dupe that he will use to resurrect the dead in the messianic era. As the verse states, generous rain you pour down, O God, your heritage which was Weary, you firmed up. Rabbi Hoshua, the son of Levi, said further, With each sentence uttered by God, the Jew shrank back a distance of 12 mil, and the ministering angels led them back. Thank you. So what happens is, at each of the commandments that God spoke, it blew out their souls. It's like, you know, you turn up the speakers too loud and the speakers blow out. Yeah, that's it. They, uh, they, they just, their souls left their bodies. And then God revived them with the dew, right, that he will use to resurrect the dead in the Messianic era. By the way, what dew did he use? Obviously, on Mount Sinai, he used mountain dew. Gewald. Gewald, gewald. Guys, please don't laugh at that. You're only, you're only encouraging me. Okay, yeah, so he used the dew of the, uh, the tel tchiyah, the dew that, that will revive the dead in the coming of Mashiach. And that's what brought them back to life. As Rabbi Yeshuvah Levi says, though, further, that each, with each dibur, with each utterance, with each of the commandments, the Jews flew back, or they jumped back, 12 mil, which is a long, which is, uh, which is a long, uh, um, Mill, it's, it's like uh, an ancient measurement of, space, uh, of, of, of distance. They flew backwards, and the ministering angels had to lead them back. That's how blown away they were. Clearly, 
it wasn't just shaking, but again, it was distancing from the mountain. What we see here again is that in text 4b, we had no mention of the distance. It just said they shuddered. But suddenly, text 6a, text 6b, we're reading about moving backwards, moving, uh, moving, moving backwards. And the question is, well, which one is it and which is the truth? Okay, so we have a bunch of questions before we get to this. Let me stop the share and let's, let's recap the questions. Question number one is, why did the people demand to see? Question number two is, was it a scary situation or a loving situation? Which one is it? Was it a moment of love or a moment of fear? Next question, why does one verse say that the people shook and the other verse say that they shook and step back? Which one is it? Why is it inconsistent? There's another question. Another question that you'll only pick up if you have other texts that for some reason is not in the text that we have in the PDF that I shared with you. Um, but, oh, Adina Malka is asking, people saw the voices. Yeah, they saw the voices. The Talmud says, at Sinai, roin et halnishma. They saw what was normally heard. If you remind me at the end of the class, I'll tell you what that means on a deeper level. It's not exactly today's lesson, although we're going to talk, we're going to talk kind of around it a little bit. But if you want, if you remind me, because I might forget, remind me and we'll talk about it. Um, believe in me or Moses, they had to believe in Moses as well. They had to, because Moses would come to them for the next four years and tell them what God said. And if they didn't believe in Moses, they wouldn't believe that Moses was getting that from God. They might believe that Moses made it up. But they, since they heard at Sinai, God speaking to Moses, unequivocally, they heard it with their own ears. That gave them the foundation. Wow, Steve, I'm loving the cup. I'm sorry for, look at that guy. Look at that. He's got the IJ uh, kit cup. Fanta fabulous. Loving it. Loving it. Get yours today. All right. Here's the deal. You know, if, um, if they hadn't heard from God himself at Mount Sinai, they wouldn't have had that, uh, that, maybe they wouldn't have had that belief in Moses that everything was authentic. So it was not only believing about God, believing in God, that was a given, but even in Moses, the authenticity of Moses' message. Okay, now, I want to give you one more question. Again, you're not going to find it in the text. That's what I'm going to share with you another screen. I'm prepared with multiple screens. Here we go. Take a look. Boom. Exodus 19. Right? This is, this is what we're talking about. Verse 1. They arrive at the desert Sinai on the first day of the month. This is all, all the stuff that we've been talking about. It's right here. So, um, ba -ba 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 -ba. Doo -doo 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 -doo. boundaries. Okay. God said, remember, you should set boundaries for the people. Yeah. God says, if you want to um, get involved, then, then you're going to have to, uh, if you want to be able to see, you're going to have to set boundaries. Then what happens is, once again, God says, go down. This is now right before, right before God speaks. God tells Moses one more time, go down, warn the people, lest they break their formation to go near to the Lord to see, and many of them will fall. So Moses said, the people cannot ascend Mount Sinai because you already warned us, saying set boundaries to the mountain to sanctify it. In other words, why are you telling me to go down and tell them to stay away? You already told me that, and they're already listening. The Lord said, no, go descend. And then you shall ascend, 
whatever, but the people, uh, the priests and the populace should not break the formation. God says, warn them again. I know you told them a few days ago, before the three days of preparation, go warn them again. It's game time. It's show time. We're about to start. Go tell them, don't get too close to the mountain one more time. So now our last question is going to be, or is, why does God repeat this prohibition or this warning about not getting too close to the mountain? Why does God repeat it a second time right before go time? So in summary, we have four, we have four um, questions. Why do the people want to see? Was it scary or loving? Did they shudder or did they jump back? And why the need for two warnings? These may sound like scattered questions, but like many of our classes, all of them are answered with a turn of one key. If you have one idea, one notion, with, cl with uh, um, clear, one idea that I'm about to present, once you understand that, all the questions fall and everything makes sense. So let's talk about the core idea. This is the key. This is the key that's going to open up all the locks. You have four doors that are locked. I have the master key. I'm giving it to you right now. What's the difference between seeing and hearing? What's the difference? Unmute yourself. Let's have a conversation. What's the difference between what we hear and what we see? Jump in. Go. This is open. Understanding things sequentially versus seeing it all at once. Good. Good. When you hear something, you have to process sequentially. Piece by piece, it's a slower go. It's a linear way of comprehension. Whereas when you see something, you see it all at once, right? You look at a painting, you see it in one moment. Describe the painting, it's gonna take a few minutes, right? You have to speak it out in a linear fashion. Excellent, what else? Unmute yourself, give me more distinctions between seeing and hearing. More believable. Good, seeing. good. Seeing is believing. Seeing is believing and hearing is, let, let me, let me um, uh, um, enhance what you said or, or expand upon what you said. Somebody tells you that they saw um, an African lion running across um, uh, Peachtree Street. Would you believe them? No one else told you. No, you Google it, you check online, you know, WSB, uh, um, AJC, no one's talking about it. There's no other conversation about it. Just this one person who you know that says, I saw a lion running across Peachtree Street. No other corroboration. Do you believe him? Are you a little skeptical maybe? Are you a little skeptical? Yes. Is it? Okay. What if somebody else tells you that's impossible? I was literally standing on Peachtree Street the whole day. Why? It doesn't matter. I was there the whole day. There was never a lion. At that intersection, I never saw a lion. What are you going to think about the first guy? He's Meshuggah. Or, or he's lying. You made up a story. He's Good. Uh oh, wow. That was, that was a softball, slow pitch, right over the middle, and you're right there in the batter's box. You're right there, and you're just, you're just knocking it out of the park. I love that. I love that. Excellent. Well done. All right. So here's the deal. When you hear something, it might be true. Might be true. If someone contradicts it, it might be false. Right? So you, there's no way to know. There's no way to really know if it's true if you're hearing it. 
It's hearsay. So you believe it as long as you believe it, as long as it's plausible. If somebody disagrees with it, now you're not even sure what the deal is. Right? He says, she says. I don't know. But what happens if you saw it? What happens if you saw the lion crossing the street? Do you believe it? Yeah. Seeing is believing. Now, could there be an explanation that explains how it's possible even though it wasn't there? Theoretically. But if you see it, if somebody else tells you impossible, what are you going to say? <laughs> impossible. I don't care. It's impossible. I saw it with my own eyes. It's harder to let go of what we see. Because seeing, as Donna said, seeing is believing. Hearing, maybe. Seeing, yeah, that's true. I saw it. You're going to tell me I didn't see it? I literally saw it. Yeah. Thank you for telling me what I saw and what I didn't see. I actually saw it. By the way, that is why in Jewish law and halakha, there's a, there's a, there's a rule. Ain aid na'aseh dayan. A witness cannot become a judge. If you've witnessed the case, sorry, if you've witnessed the crime, if you're a judge, you cannot sit and preside on the case. Why? Because you no longer are objective. In Jewish law, a court is a place where you have judges who didn't see what happened and who are listening to testimony and therefore believe no one off the bat until they investigate and interrogate and the most plausible story is what they go with. But if you saw it, there's no objectivity. The judge cannot be objective. Ain aid naased dayan. If you've seen it, you can't preside over it as a judge. Too close. But hearing, you can hear testimony from one side and then be open to the other side's testimony. But didn't you hear the first guy's story? Yeah, but I didn't believe him. I'd heard it, but I didn't see it. Hearing is not believing. Are you with me on what I'm saying so far? Yes? Yes? Don't believe it. You didn't see it. I'm just telling it to you. You're just hearing it. I'm joking. Okay. Now, the next... That was a joke. Okay. We, we need to smile also. It's a good thing. Okay. Next is... There's another distinction between seeing and hearing. And this is the one that we're going to encounter right off the bat from the Shemi Shmuel. A fabulous Hasidic text written a few hundred years ago. Listen to this distinction. Listen to this distinction. Hearing is more passive than seeing. Why? Because hearing means that the sound waves are being projected from the other to you. Whereas seeing is you're looking there. You with me? Again, I'm not speaking to this from a biological perspective, but from a conceptual perspective. Conceptually, hearing means the other person is sound waving to you. Seeing is you are traveling, your vision is traveling to see them. So one is moving this way and one is moving that way. One is moving within, from without to within, and the other one is moving from within to without. Let's look at this inside. Okay, I'm sharing my screen once again. Let's get back to our PDF. Okay, let's talk about this right now. This is, this is, this is visual connection. Hearing isn't seeing. 
The Shemesh Mul says the following. Okay, let's see. Who are we going to ask to read? Let's ask. Um, hold on. Marnine, are you up to reading? Fantastic. Okay. Uh, unmute yourself if you can. Hit that audio button. There we go. All right. Take it away, please. Now, it is a popular notion. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. It is a popular notion that hearing and seeing are different from one another. Listening occurs when sound vibrations enter and strike the ear, when, which represents the speaker drawing close to the listener. Seeing is the opposite. Seeing occurs when I project my line of sight into the item, onto the item. Therefore, when Simon hears Reuben's voice, Reuben is drawing close to Simon. When Simon sees Reuben, Simon is drawing near to Reuben. So the que thank you, Marnie. The question is, who's approaching who? Right? Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I meant to... Stop the share for a second so I can see you all. Who's approaching who? When it comes to hearing, the speaker's approaching the listener. When it comes to seeing, the viewer is approaching the one who's being viewed. So let's just give the example, right? Me and Steve. Steve, me and you right now, okay? Here we go. So let's say that I'm talking, which I happen to be talking. So, right, so I am approaching you because I'm talking, I'm projecting my voice and you're listening, but I'm, I'm doing the approaching. But when it comes to seeing, right, I'm where I am, you're the one that's approaching to see. You're the one that's looking at me, so you're the one that's approaching me to see. So to hear, I'm approaching you. To see, you're approaching me. This explains, according to the Shem Ishmuel, this explains the other point that we mentioned that seeing is believing. Why is seeing believing? You know why? It's because that's the one that required effort on your part. When it comes to hearing, you didn't invest. Hearing someone else invested. Someone else is doing the work. Someone else is trying to convince you. Someone else is like, listen, 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 listen. And you're like, maybe, 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 maybe. Right? You're not doing the work. They're doing the work. You're not invested. They're invested. Since you're not invested, therefore, therefore, what you hear, you take with a grain of salt. But when you see, seeing is about you stepping out and being interested and looking and observing. When you're looking, when you're engaged on that level, seeing is believing. So when you're not so engaged, again, now we're understanding seeing and hearing as engagement versus non-engagement. I understand that you're seeing and hearing now. I don't mean that you're, not, you're all not engaged. But understand conceptually here the distinction. Hearing is primarily the engagement of the speaker. Oh, there we go. Proactive or reactive. I like it, Donna. Good. Proactive and reactive. So when it comes to hearing, it's more reactive. Someone else is doing the talking. Someone else is doing the work. And I'm reacting to it. So therefore, the way it hits me, since I'm not being active necessarily, I'm just being more reactive, therefore, it, it, it resonates a little bit less. Whereas when I'm seeing something, I'm putting in the effort, I'm being proactive, it really resonates with me. So commensurate to the effort that I put in, to the activity that I put in, will be how deeply 
it connects with me, how deeply it affects me. If I'm just reactive, it'll affect me only to a certain point. If I'm proactive, it's going to affect me even more. Now, with this in mind, okay, give me a second here. With this in mind, um, with this in mind, hold on, just turning off some notifications that are making some noise here. Okay, with this in mind, we can think about what happened at Sinai. Right, so what happens at Sinai? God says, I'm going to speak to you, Moses. The people will listen in. What could go wrong? It's great. The people will hear. They'll have a full experience. And what did the people say? Nope. Not good enough. The people said, we don't want to be passive. We don't want to be reactive. We don't want to just be the listeners. We don't want Torah to just affect us maybe a little bit. You know, in case someone else doesn't contradict it, okay, I guess I believe it's true. I guess there's a lion. You told me, I guess you're trustworthy, but I didn't really see it. No, 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 no. The Jewish people wanted Torah. They wanted God. They wanted this whole situation, Judaism. They wanted it to be real, but like really real. Not like kind of, sort of, probably real, because they heard it. They wanted it to be they wanted it to be like visually real, like absolutely real, like no doubt about it. We saw it actually happening. There's no question. You can tell me I didn't see it, but I literally saw it and I know what I saw. That's what they wanted. So it wasn't chutzpah. It wasn't, um, you know, untoward of them to ask. It was literally the best thing that they could have done. God says, I, wanna, I want them to have an auditory experience. And the people said, but for us, we want a visual experience because the visual experience means that we are going to be active participants, that we are going to be the ones who are observing, not just the ones listening. I don't want you to do all the work, they said to God. We, or we don't want you to do all the work and just we're going to be passive and reactive. We want to be proactive. We want to be the ones that are send, set, setting our sights on you, the ones who are observing, the ones who are noticing, the ones who are engaging. We want to be engaged in this process even... If we have to stand from afar, we want to be engaged to the max, not just with our ears, but with our eyes as well, which is the next level. Fundamentally, why? Because we want to connect with the truth of Torah. We want to connect with the truth of God in a way that listening, mere listening, would not be able to achieve. Make sense so far? Yes? That's why God repeats the warning about the mountain. Because God said, once I told you guys yes to the list, sorry, to the seeing, and once you guys are now going to be approaching with your eyes, I'm now afraid. I'm now afraid. If you're approaching with your eyes, you may shuffle your feet a little bit closer. You might be shuffling toward Mount Sinai. You ever see a crowd slowly moving? It happens all the time. The subway approaches before the doors open. Pack station, back in the day when people would gather together, right? Right? There's a crush. There's a little bit of a push. Yeah? That's the way it is. God says, I know what's going to happen. If this was only hearing, then you're not, you're not running anywhere. If we had just, if I had just, if we had kept it to be an auditory experience, then I know the people would have not been tempted to violate my, the boundary around the mountain. But now that I told them yes to the visual, now that they're going to be the ones with their eyes that are approaching the mountain, 
I'm afraid that their feet are going to follow. You know, the eye sees it, even, su even subconsciously. The feet are going to start creeping forward. And so God says to Moses, right before action time, right before game time, God says to Moses, please go down the mountain one more time. You know, take the elevator down the mountain one more time and tell the people, please, make sure not to approach, make sure not to violate the boundaries, the borders, the fence that we set up. They actually set up a fence. So, now we understand the first question and the second question. First question being, why did the people ask to see? Because seeing is not hearing. Seeing is much greater. Seeing is, seeing is internalizing because seeing is active. Seeing is proactive. Seeing is stepping forward. Now we understand why the prohibition, two prohibitions against stepping forward physically because the concern that the eyes and the feet will follow. Let's address the other questions. Remember we talked about love and fear? Which one was it? It was definitely a kiss. It was absolutely a kiss. But when you get so close to such a kiss, it's a little bit scary also, right? Because who's the kiss coming from? God Almighty. If you hear the kiss, it's not that scary. Whatever. Maybe you're a little bit like, wow. When I say hear, hear the kiss, I'm speaking obviously a bit euphemistically. I'm not literally talking about hearing a kiss. It's a, it's a euphemism, right? Hearing that type of closeness, that type of revelation from God to us, hearing it, you would tremble, it would, be, it would be overwhelming, but still within a certain measure. It's still love, by the way. Okay, let me give you an example. Imagine, this is like lahavda, like a huge separation between God and whoever we're going to mention now. But imagine your favorite celebrity, athlete, movie star, whatever, singer, whoever, right? Imagine. Or imagine maybe if you don't have one now, imagine when you were younger, if you had one then. Yeah, maybe you had a poster in your room, whatever it was. Imagine if you were at a concert, let's say, and that singer was on stage. You remember people used to faint at Michael Jackson concerts? You guys remember that? People used to literally go faint. And not because of the heat or whatever, just because of being... Imagine... People used to faint at the Beatles concerts, Rabbi. At the Beatles. Okay, so listen, I was around in the 80s. You know, I was, still, I was around a little bit. Uh, the Beatles, but, but I hear you. Yes, yes, I've, I've heard that. I haven't seen it, ah, but I've heard it. Now, I don't know that it's true because I'm just hearing it, but, I'll, I'll, but you're trustworthy. Um, okay, so imagine if, let's, let's talk about the Beatles. Imagine you're at a Beatles concert and you are like, you can't, you just, you're just out of your mind. You're just like, but then Paul McCartney or John Lennon or... I'm struggling here. Ringo Starr. George Harrison. George Harrison and Ringo Starr. Imagine if one of them turns to you and points at you and says, hey, come on up on stage. Come on. Come on. At this point, you're done. You're finished. You're done. Imagine all the people. Out of, imagine out of all the people. <laughs> imagine out of all the people. They, That's a Beatles song. I know, I know. That's what we're gonna. Thank you, David, for the hat, for the uh, for the assist. I'm I'm doing the old. Uh, this is an alley oop over here. Yeah, imagine. I need another Beatles song. Someone type in more Beatles songs. We're gonna work it in. One or two more. Let's go. Let's get it in. We're gonna work it in. That's our challenge right now. What's gonna What's gonna happen? We can work it out. Is that one? We can work it out. Yeah, we can work that out. So here's the deal. Imagine if you are being called on stage. 
Can you imagine how mind-blowing the experience would be? Yeah? Imagine you're at the concert. And maybe you can't even be seen because, I don't know, you're in a yellow submarine. And then they call you out and say, get out of the submarine. Pop open through the top. Let's go jump on stage. Understand this. A kiss is closeness. Right? Ringo, Paul, John... George. George, thank you. Thank you, George. Calling you up on stage is a kiss. Metaphorically, right? Let's keep it metaphorically for a second. Let's just keep it clean. Let's keep it kosher. Metaphorically, right? It's a kiss. It's closeness. Are you, are you smiling with joy? Or are you like overawed? Yeah? Imagine it happened to you yesterday. Imagine it happened to you. Yeah? You are going to be... Just blown away. You're going to be like out of your mind, even though it's closeness, which tells us there are some kisses where what you feel is the love. But some kisses, what you're feeling is you're shaking. You're absolutely shaking. When God kisses, you shake. And that's what happened at Sinai. Of course it was a kiss. And, and King Solomon writes in Song of Songs, we yearn for another kiss. But when that kiss happened... Yeah, when it happened back in the day, oh boy, we were shuddering. Why then does the other text, the second text, say shuddering, that we shook, trembled, and then stepped back? And the measure says that we jumped back 12 mil. What's the jumping back? The two verses are very important. The two verses are critical. And I don't think we pointed it out before, and I wonder if anybody noticed the difference between the two verses, 4B and 6A. But if you look at 4B, what happened? It was the morning of the day of the giving of the Torah. It was still the morning. The Ten Commandments had not yet happened. It was the morning of that third day of preparation. And what happens? Thunderclaps, lightning flashes, thick cloud, blast of the chauffeur, the people heard the noise. They hadn't seen anything yet. Because they heard, they shuddered. But what happens when they began seeing? What happens when they saw God? At that point, they stood from afar. Because in this verse 6a, it says the people saw the voices. They didn't just hear the voices, they saw the voices. And when you hear, you tremble. Because that's a kiss that you hear. You're trembling. But when you see, when you experience the kiss on a much deeper level, not only trembling, but also standing from afar. Once again, bringing out the fact that you cannot compare seeing to hearing. And so with this, I think we've answered all four questions. Question number one was, why did the people ask to see? Because seeing was going to make it so much more real. Question number two is, why did they shudder if it was a kiss? Because that type of kiss is something to shudder about. It's coming from God. The next question we had is, well, are they trembling or are they trembling and jumping backwards? When they heard, they trembled. When they saw, they moved back. And the last question, why did God have to give them two warnings about the mountain? Because when they were starting to see, they were going to, at least in the beginning, they were going to try to get closer until they had to jump back. But their, their natural, uh, the natural movement of seeing is to approach in a bit of a closer way. All of this, sorry, this one key then answers all the questions and more questions that we, didn't have a that we didn't have time to articulate. This key point, this one point, 
that seeing is different than hearing explains so much. It explains what happened at Sinai. It explains what the Jewish people wanted to happen at Sinai. They didn't just want to hear. They didn't just want God to do the work. They wanted to do the work. And the message is for us today as well. This message rings loud and clear in the year 5780. A full 3,332 years after that first experience at Sinai. You and I make a choice really every day of our lives, especially when we approach this holiday and the anniversary of this episode of this experience. You and I have a choice. Are we going to be passive listeners? Are we going to be active viewers? Are you going to be a listener? Is God going to do all the talking? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, okay. If I don't have anything else better to do, maybe you're right. Maybe you're wrong. I'm not sure. Jury is out. If somebody else tells me, yeah, God says do this mitzvah, yeah, but my animal soul tells me to do that, so I don't know who to listen to. You know, it could go either way. I'm listening. Yeah? Are we going to choose to listen? Or are we going to choose to see? Are we going to open up our eyes and see the truth? The truth of God's majesty, the truth of God's wonder, the truth of the Torah, the truth of Moses, the truth of Yiddishkeit, the truth of our own neshamas, the truth of our souls. Are we going to see? And in the process of seeing, are we going to internalize? So here's the question. Are we going to go through life passively? Or are we going to go through life actively? Like somebody once said, are you alive because you're alive? Because you're living? Or are you alive just because you haven't been taken out yet? Right? Are you really living? Or just you haven't yet experienced the opposite of life? This is a call to action for each of us. Don't just listen. I, we, you got you to gotta see. And that means when you study Torah, for example. Don't just study Torah. Study from the Torah. What are the lessons that Torah is telling you right now? What are you seeing in Torah? Not just what Torah is, you know, you're listening. So, you know, it's, it's happening to you. What are you doing? To open yourself up to experience the Torah and its truth. It's been said, if, you have, if you've ever seen like pictures of a yeshiva, yeshiva study, you see different students of the yeshiva typically with a, te- with a text on their, on their desk, hunched over, bent over the text. And you may see some shuckling. You know what shuckling is? I do it some, from time to time. When I catch myself, when I see myself shuckling in the, uh, in the Zoom, I try to stop because I don't want to make anyone seasick. Yeah? Shuckling is this, in case you're wondering. Shuckling is this. You have a book on, on the table in front of you, and you're going back and forth, but you're hunching over. What if I take my book and I put it up like this? Oh, I'm going to sit back on a beach chair. Let me prop up my book like this. Oh, it's fantastic. Trafe. No good. Not kosher. Torah is not meant to come to us. We're not meant to listen to Torah like Torah is doing all the talking. We're meant to see Torah. That means we approach Torah. Don't sit back and make Torah come to you because it's not going to affect you. You need to hunch over Torah. Preserve your back, proper posture, take care of your body. With that being said, we need to be the ones approaching Torah, not the other way around. Make sense? Yes? Okay. So this Shavuot... I want to give a charge to all of us, myself included. 
Let's commit to this being a year of renewed vigor, renewed energy, renewed vitality, renewed enthusiasm in studying Torah. This, the Torah that we study should never be passive, should never be stale, should never be yesterday's news. It should never be something that God is, God is talking and maybe we're listening or maybe we're listening to something else at the same time. No, Torah should be something that's vibrant, that's alive, and something that we are turning to, we are looking toward. Torah is life. Torah is our life and the length of our days, we say. It's a tree of life for those who hold on to it. Torah is life. Torah, the equation is like this. The mathematical formula is Torah equals life. So this year, commit to life. Commit to living, a, a, to living life in its fullest. When people say that they don't usually, <laughs> they don't usually have the same, the same message that I have. I don't think when people say, you got to live your life to the fullest, I'm pretty sure it's about bungee jumping in, uh, you know, in, in the, uh, the Amazon. But here's, what, here's my message. Whether you bungee jump or not, I don't know. But here's my message. Live life this year. Live life. Hold on to Torah because Torah is the real thing. And don't just listen. Don't make it just passive. Engage and open. Open yourself. Don't approach Torah from a place of, eh, maybe. Maybe if, if something creeps in, maybe I'll listen. Be open. Be vulnerable. Be humble before Torah. It's God's wisdom. I say this any chance I can get. I've said this you know, countless times. You've all heard me say this. We all wish that, that life came with a, with a, with a uh, uh, user manual. It does. It literally does. We have it. You know? A person has a child. Oh, how do you operate this thing? How, does it, how do people work? How do I work? It's called Torah. We have it. We have a 3,300-year legacy of the greatest wisdom, divine wisdom, that the world has ever seen. And if you have any doubt, just look at any area of Torah, any area of scholarship, any area of halacha, Jewish law, doesn't matter what you study. Torah is the real thing. Torah is life itself. So this year, this Shavuot, we have, it starts tomorrow night, 24, um, just about 24 hours. 24 hours, eh, maybe 24 and a half hours. The holiday begins. Here's the question. What will you commit to this year? This Shavuot, what will you commit to? To enhance your Torah. To be more open. To pursuing Torah. To being the viewer as opposed to the active viewer. The proactive viewer as opposed to the passive listener. What are you going to do to open yourself to Torah like never before? Only you can answer the question. Maybe it's another class. Maybe it's more classes. Maybe it's you teaching classes. Or creating study groups with your friends. The, 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 the opportunities are endless. Maybe it's, it's, it's entering a new area of Torah study they've never studied before. If you haven't studied Talmud before, maybe it's Talmud. If you haven't studied Mishnah before, maybe it's Mishnah. Maybe it's studying the, the weekly Haftorah. The section of the prophets on each of the Torah portions. Maybe it's studying the, weekly, sorry, the daily section of the parsha each day. Maybe it's studying from the book of Tanya. Again, the, 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 
the opportunities are, are literally endless. But what but no matter what you do, make it about this. Make it about looking and seeing, not just listening. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you for seeing. Thank you for being here with me tonight. I value every opportunity that we have together to study. I personally don't take any of this for granted. I don't take the fact that we're each in our own homes and yet connected for granted. And I treasure the friendship that we all share and the connection that we have to share collective Torah inspiration together. And every time we get together and study, I want to tell you that I get more inspired in my own spiritual journey. And I hope you do the same. So thank you for sharing this with me. And I am so grateful to share this with you. Let's make this a year of renewed Torah study and commitment to really connecting and being open. All right. Thank you very much for joining me tonight for Torah studies. Um, have, have a wonderful holiday. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that.